at the time too, I had no inkling that there was a man involved. Absolutely nothing to tell me. I didn't see anything. It wasn't a razor sitting in the bathroom. Like I saw nothing. Welcome to today's podcast episode and thank you for pressing play on part two of my conversation with Sally Layden. Sally and I are continuing our conversation about the disappearance of her mum over 26 years ago, Marion Barter. Sally was in her early 20s when her much-loved mother, Marion Barter, vanished without seemingly a trace. Sally did turn to the police for assistance and to her family as well only to be told that her mum had chosen to leave and did not want to be contacted. Unable to accept the mystery and to make sense of the strange circumstances and occurrences that were unfolding in front of Sally's face, like money being withdrawn from her mum's account, and also a memory of sighting a mystery man prior to her mum's disappearance. Sally became even more determined to unravel the mystery as she became a mum herself. Sally teamed up with Seven News to work on the podcast series The Lady Vanishes and Sally could never have imagined what was going to unravel. The places she would go, the things she would uncover, the other women across the world that would come forward with stories that were just so unnervingly similar to the things that she uncovered in relation to the disappearance of her mum. As I mentioned, her mum disappeared 26 years ago. I can't even really begin to imagine or conceptualize how difficult that is to carry that burden. And Sally spoke so openly and honestly during our conversation And that's why I really encourage you to go back and listen to part one first. In this part of our conversation, we unpack some of those things that did happen 26 years ago and how reflecting on these things has impacted the way Sally parents her three children today. We talk about the inquest and where things stand currently. So I have included resources in the show notes for you as well, and I do encourage you to jump over, check out the Sally Layden website. Also, go and listen to the episodes of the Lady Vanishes podcast. There's just no way that I can include all of the twists and turns and truly unbelievable occurrences that unravel during Sally's investigation. It was such a pleasure to share some time with Sally and to speak with her. Sally also was so generous in her time and that's why I've created two episodes out of our conversation because she was so generous with her time and also everything Sally shared with me felt incredibly important to keep in the podcast episode. So please enjoy hearing from Sally Layden in part two of our conversation 
Let me know what you think of these episodes. You can slide into my DMs over on Instagram. You'll find me at Kylie Lately, and you'll also be able to find Sally's Instagram handle in our show notes as well. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's unbelievable what the podcast has been able to achieve. I can imagine in those early days of considering even starting a podcast, you just would have had no idea that it could have unfolded like this. Not at all. Like the the occasional person that would sit down and talk to me about mum, they were like, oh my God, you've got to write a book. This is insane. This is crazy. And that was before we found what we have found. Um, And I just used to just plot along with it and think, well, I'm just going to keep going when I can, you know, in between building houses, being pregnant, having children, you know, um, raising them. And wanting to actually be a good mum, you know, I didn't want to be that person sitting in the corner, which I could have very easily done, rocking back and forth, not coping in life. And that is not who I am as a person. I'm I'm a very driven person. People sometimes, you know, see that as a negative and call me, you know, I don't know, I've been called things like, um, what's the word? Um almost too brash or too determined or yeah and it's seen as a negative you know like I've had people um sort of say it to me in a tone that it's not seen as a positive and it's not that I mean to come across like that I just have been built and um today in today's world I feel like that's who I am as a person now I have to keep pushing forward and I have to keep driving and I try and just separate the feelings and put that to one side and go, yes, my mum is missing. And that's sad for me too because I actually don't get to um, grieve for my mum. You know, I, don't, I feel like I don't do that enough because today I'm telling the story and I'm here to tell the story to get the answers. And the more we talk about it, the more we find, you know, and it's always about dredging myself back down into rabbit holes and going, okay, what am I going to do today? And what a journey am I going to look at today? And, you know, writing up timelines so we don't forget things and thinking about things I should have done better when I was 24 and, you know, and trying to learn from those Um, mistakes and errors that I made so that I can help other people too, you know. So there's lots of people who have missing persons um, in their world and it's a very hard thing to manage. Uh, So if I can help other people from my not so much mistakes because I didn't know what I was doing, so there wasn't a right or a wrong at that time, but I have learned how to manage and cope and do things differently. And if I can help other people move forward with that information too, well, that's that's. Uh, you know, the flip side of what we actually do, something good that comes out of them. 
And 26 years ago, Sally, there weren't the resources available to you that are available to you now. And I think it's such a human thing to go, oh, I should have done this or I could have done that. But you literally did what we are all told to do in that situation. And despite it all, you have been so determined and so resilient to keep moving forward. And I can imagine that because there are so many tasks that are always making a bid for your attention, it must be incredibly hard to grieve your mum and with grief, often we are looking for that closure. We're looking for that end that we can tie up before we really sink into it. Whereas I can imagine for you, you're in that ambiguous loss, in that ambiguous grief where you're grieving you know, the conversations that you wish you could have with her on a daily basis. You're grieving the role that she would have played in your life and your children's life. But yet you have so many other things that need your attention before you can get to that place. Yeah, that's true. Now that we look back on things and we do have more of a vocabulary surrounding coercive control and domestic violence and also an understanding of femicide, only with the ability to look back through that lens, were there things in the lead up to your mum going missing that you would consider to be red flags that, of course, you never would have seen as red flags back then because I know that a lot of the behaviors that were happening also made sense. It made sense that she wanted to sell her house. It made sense that she wanted to change and leave that school. But with the lens of understanding that your mum is still missing, what is it that you, I guess, would perhaps encourage our listeners to consider as red flags, maybe if they're noticing these things in their own parents? Well, that's a very tough thing to talk about because um, I always and I've always said that as a 24-year-old, it wasn't really my right to quiz my mum or talk to her or, or ask her about her behaviour. Or And I was that child that was always brought up that, you know, children are never are seen but not heard. And um, I kind of in my head was like, I can't really sit here and quiz her on these things. And I did, I did quiz her. I asked her, like when I saw the guy in the car, I said, who was the guy in the car? And she just said, oh, he's just a friend I met at the art center. And, you know, I, I probably should have pushed, I should have pushed harder. And I should have asked, why did you, why did you kick Chris out so quickly? Like, what was that about? And ask the question. I did spend a lot of time with my mum. I would go over there and sit with her and have, you know, dinner with her. And there was one night where she just collapsed on the couch and looked completely exhausted and sort of fell asleep while I was sitting next to her and she'd been crying and she was upset and was telling me that she wasn't happy at TSS and that things were happening there and I just tried to be that person to support her and and give her someone to talk to without questioning her and I think it's important that now that I know what I know and now that I've seen what I've seen I probably would have pushed harder I would have said you need to tell me if something's happening, because that's who I am today. I am that person today. And I guide my children with that sort of lingo as well, you know, um, and make sure that people do feel free that they can talk and that they have an open space to talk rather than um, feeling that they could be judged or what have you. Um, There were a couple of instances with mum that are the standout for me. So the McDonald's guy in the car obviously is probably the number one thing because there was a man sitting next to her and I didn't find out who he was. And 
The second would be there was an instance where she was living with Leslie at this time, her friend. So she had moved in with Leslie after she'd sold her house really quickly. So she sold the house within three weeks and she wasn't quite ready to go on this trip yet at that time. So she moved in with Leslie. There's been conversation about why didn't she live with me, uh, which she was welcome to, but we lived quite away from TSS, whereas Leslie was five minutes from TSS. So in my head, it made sense that she would stay at Leslie's and Leslie had offered um, and they were good friends. So she stayed with Leslie and then one night she had arranged to come and stay at our house and um, I want to take everybody back to a time when there's no mobile phones, there's no Facebook, there's no text, there's no email, right? So we're in a world of very, very um, – very hard communication, right, compared to what we have today. Communication is open slather. Um, so we did not have that. And the problem that we had with that was we were reliant on answering machines. So most people, I don't even think my kids would know what an answering machine is. They probably do because of my story. But in, in terms of just normality for them, you'd have an answering machine sitting there. You'd come in. If someone rung and you weren't home, they'd leave a message and the light would flash and you'd press the button and it would replay the message for you and that's how you could communicate. Anyway, mum had made arrangements to come and stay with Chris and I this night and then she, when I got home, she, there was an answering machine um, message on the on the answering machine and she said, look, I've decided I'm actually going to stay with Leslie uh, tonight so I'm not coming. And I was like, um, yes, that's fine, no problem, obviously in my own head. And um, mum was staying at Leslie's and that was fine, no problem. And then I was doing an assignment and I just needed some help with um, writing – something. And so I rang Leslie and I said, hi, Les, can I speak to mum? And she said, oh, she's staying at your house tonight. I said, oh, no, she's left a message saying she's not coming and she's at yours. And she goes, oh, well, she's not here. And I went, hmm, okay. So then the next day I speak to her and I said, so where were you? If you weren't at Leslie's, I rang Leslie's and you weren't there. And at that point she got very cross with me. And she told me to mind my own business. She told me that she'd locked her keys in the car, was the story she told us, um, and that she was at the car park at Southport Park and she was waiting for RACQ and that she got home. I can't remember the rest of the story. She must have gone back to Leslie's and told her that she was Leslie was asleep or something like that, but I can't. I won't say that to be definitive because I don't remember that bit, but I remember her telling me that she'd said she locked her keys in the car and she was waiting for RACQ to come and help her get back in the car. And But she was upset with me that I had, I guess I'd exposed something that she didn't want exposed. Like I'd kind of caught her out and I didn't, I actually believed that the car, the keys were locked in the car and I trusted my mum. Had, she had no reason to lie to me about what she was doing. But now I know that she probably did have a reason to tell me mistruths or steer me in a different direction just to keep me at bay. And it's very difficult when you want to dig in deep to those and ask more questions because I don't know that I could have asked any more or that she would have told me any more because she was pretty cranky at me that I had exposed to Leslie, probably more so than me, that um, she wasn't actually staying at Leslie's that night even though she'd rung me and told me she was. So... Yeah, it's it's hard to know how I would have done things differently um, 
back then, I think, you know, having an open conversation and I'm I'm probably pride myself on that with my kids that, you know, we talk about the good, the bad and the ugly and, you know, there's no secrets with us. We we are very open right down to every everything and some people might disagree with that and think that kids aren't privy to those sorts of uh, conversations. And, of course, you know, my children range from 16 to 22. So, obviously, what I discuss with my 16-year-old son is probably different to what I discuss with my 22-year-old daughter. But, you know, and in the middle there, I've got a 19-year-old daughter as well. So, I just make it so that my children have a very clear understanding of what's happening and we just have an open book. And I think that's probably be my best advice for anybody in a relationship with their parents or their children or their husband is communication is key and being able to be open and honest with those people and not feel judged. You know, sit there and have a conversation. And I've I've really drummed that into my kids. You know, if you've done something wrong, you tell me. You know, there will be less ramification if you tell me the truth and we can work through it than if you say something that's not true and then I find out later that you've lied or something. So my kids generally are that that person. They're those humans. They they are open and happy to sit there and tell me things, the good, the bad and the ugly, and I don't sit there and judge them. We work through it and I think that's really important. Yeah, I'm exactly the same with my kids and I have people tell me all the time, you give those kids too much information, you are too open with them but I really value that two-way street. Not that I go and offload my problems onto them, but I want them to see me as a vulnerable human and know that, you know, they can come to me with their vulnerabilities as well as they continue to grow up. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I think that's what makes it particularly hard to even look back with your mum's case is the fact that anything that may be considered a potential red flag in the lead up to her disappearance also has an explanation. As Mm. I mentioned, it, it made sense that she was selling her house and that she wanted to sell it quickly. But then with the lens and understanding coercive control, I imagine you can look back now and go, well, maybe she sold it so fast because she was being pressured. You know, there might've been more on the line than you were aware of. And it Mm. is, it's only with, you know, looking back that we can even look at these things really and understand what may or may not have been happening. Yeah, for sure. And I think, as I said earlier, you know, there was no reason for me to not trust what my mum was telling me. And so when she told me that she was going to downsize and everything had rhyme and reason, she was like, oh, well, you know, I've got all these big pieces of antique furniture and they won't fit in the unit. So, and you're going to inherit them one day anyway. So, you might as well have them now. That was all the lingo that I was being fed. And so, I just rolled with it and went, yep, okay, I I get that. And you want to downsize to a unit because you have a three-bedroom home and a swimming pool that no one uses. Of of course, you'd want to go and live in a smaller house if that's what you choose to do and I have no problem with that. I'm happy to help you and in any way, shape or form that you you need help with. And so it is difficult because at the time too, I had no inkling that there was a man involved, absolutely nothing to tell me. I didn't see anything. It wasn't a razor sitting in the bathroom. Like I saw nothing. And I'm an attention to detail kind of person, uh, which people have probably already established. But um, it's... Yeah, there was just nothing. And so, therefore, 
she didn't slip up. She didn't say anything. I mean, Joni and I have dug deep into some of these timelines, right? And there's a situation where we know from Bron's evidence, who's one of her sisters, that they met and went to the ballet and they didn't sit together. They had separate seats because they just had a membership and they were cheaper memberships, so they just got whatever seat was available. And that was in Brisbane. And then they went up to her parents' place to the Caloundra at Moffat Beach and it was uh, my grandfather's birthday. And so we've been able to timeline those things and we know that the day that mum went to the ballet with Bron, her sister, she also went in and picked up her passport from the passport office in Brisbane. Now, every other passport she'd ever done before that, she had sent to her home. So this was a point of difference. She had collect stamped on her passport application. So she came to Brisbane and picked it up and remembering it had a name change on it, something that no one knew about. But the fact that she's done that and then that night or that afternoon she goes to a matinee with her sister and then goes up and spends the weekend with her family, her mother and father and that sister, but does not say anything about a name change, a new passport, I went and did this today, nothing came out of her mouth uh, to give us any inkling that something was not quite right. Then we have the phone call that she rang me just before she flew back into the country. You know, she rings me on a payphone, money's dropping out. So the phone, it was distressful for me because she kept talking and then the phone would cut out and then she'd ring me back with more money and then she'd, and, and it was like a, it wasn't a gap in the time. She just obviously wasn't putting coins in or something as she was talking to me, but the phone would drop out and then she'd ring me back. And this happened a number of times and to the point where she says to me, okay, well, I've, um, this is the, all the coins I have now, so I'll just let you keep talking until the phone cuts out. And then so I'm telling her about I've just bought my wedding dress literally two days before or the day before and, you know, what was happening in my world and I had my interview with the police coming up and she was excited for me with that. And she literally just sat there silent while I spoke and then the phone cut out and that was the last time I ever spoke to my mum. And, you know, she was telling me, she was getting me to cross-check off things that she had done at school and she wanted me to take a few things back that she'd accidentally put into storage and this, these were big problems for her that she wanted me to fix for her. And I've always, that's always been a worry for me in the whole realm of her going to be missing on her own account because I thought if anyone was going to go overseas back in 1997, you could literally get on the plane and leave. And I don't know if people know this for fact, right? But when you leave the country, when you leave Australia, the only documentation that police keep or sorry Australia keeps and home affairs keeps is an Interpol where you leave and where you get off that plane so if she got off in South Korea which we know to be the case because it's on her outgoing passenger card that's where the the trail stops so whether she bounced to Japan or whether she bounced to the UK or Amsterdam wherever we don't know that but it will be in archives. So we will find that information. Joni and I are on a mission to find my mum's steps of where she went from that point in South Korea. And um, the same as when you come back in. So on the way back in, she has a stopover in Hong Kong. So 
on her incoming passenger card, it says she's coming from Hong Kong back into Brisbane. And that's a big problem in the world of trying to find a missing person because it's like a dead end. There's no follow through with that, except the cards are kept, but they're just not kept under Interpol. And then obviously Interpol destroys everything after seven years anyway. So in my case, they were destroyed a long time ago. And it wasn't really until month's 10th anniversary that I contacted the AFP and said, something's not right here, people. I need some help. The police aren't helping me. That Rebecca Cotts came into the picture and she started helping me. And by which point I was three years after the seven-year cutoff. So I'd like every opportunity to find her and find that relevant information, bank statements, everything, because the police had told me they'd found her and my, her family were telling me to leave it alone. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Essentially. And with the passenger cards, you're certain it's your mum because she has a very distinctive way of writing the word Australia, but you've never been able to get your hands on the manifest either, right? Like the passenger list. Oh, no, I do have the manifest. Yeah, I do have oh, that. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've, we've got the outgoing and incoming manifest and there is not one other person on either manifest that – is the same person. So Joe Bloggs is not on the outgoing f- flight and he, Joe Bloggs is not on the incoming flight. So I always thought that if we had the same person on the outgoing and the incoming, yes. we would have a potential person of interest. And I sort of started that conversation with Gary Sheehan quite a while ago and because I was trying to think of other things they could look at that hadn't been presented to me and that was one of the things. So I do have that now since we've done the inquest because they've actually gone and got that information. So I do have that. It's very interesting. We do have a list and we can. We sort of thought that we'd found the person who potentially was sitting next to mum on the, one of the flights, but turns out she was a child and was traveling with her sister. And then we were told by another person just doing some research into that was that those lists are not in seat order. They're just as you've actually logged into the system. So it doesn't necessarily mean that person was sitting next to my mum. And then it's a far reach anyway to sit there and go, would you remember sitting next to someone on a plane 27 years ago and what did they tell you? So that's, you know, a bit far-fetched to think that someone might, someone may, but it's a pretty pretty big um, question mark as to whether they would actually recall that or not. So, yeah, I do have that and that's been the benefit of doing the inquest as well. There are documents now that I have been privy to. I posted on my group page uh, yesterday uh, uh, showing people the document I started with, which was my first freedom of information document that I applied for. And they charge you for these things, right? They're not free. And the document is nine pages, I think. And most of it's redacted. And now I have 13 volumes of evidence and 13 volumes of documents. Um, and that's a lot to retain in your your brain as well and trying to um, that's why I have moments where I stop and I go, what's that word? I can't think because my brain just gets full um, of, of lots. And same with Joni, actually. But the two of us are kind of good because we bounce off each other. And if I can't remember something, she remembers it. And we sort of go down that path many, many times. Um, but, yeah, 
It's an enormous amount of mental load. It's incredible. Where is the case at now as we stand? So as we stand right this second, we've just received the submission reply from Adam Castleton, who is the Crown Solicitor for the coroner, and he's replied to Mr Blum and his submissions and our reply to Mr Blum's submissions. Uh, New South Wales Police didn't um, do a submission in in response to him and now we're just waiting for confirmation on a date for the coroner to hand down her findings. So um, hopefully that will be soon. I was really hoping it would be this side of Christmas um, so I, just so I can process it and it's, I think I feel I'm worried for myself that there will be a massive release for me when the coroner says that, but I'm, I'm trying to stay strong and hope that, you know, we can, uh, I can keep it together because I think for me, hearing the coroner say anything, um, about my mum and her status and things like that, I take that very seriously. And I, you know, it's to me, it's like a person of authority. And I haven't had that since my grandfather passed away in 2003. So for me to hear her say what she thinks has happened based on all the evidence and where we're going to go from there is massive for me. Um, I know there's lots of people who have said they'd like to be there when it happens. It will be in Sydney, at Lincoln. Um, and I have sort of spoken to them at the courthouse and asked them, you know, is there a flow-on room or something like that, depending on how many people actually want to come. Um, but I think the story has has really resonated with a lot of people. Like, I mean, you know, to lose a mum in, in such a horrible way and all the things that I've had to go through and all the roadblocks and the, me pushing through those roadblocks and then moving to the next stage, um, you know, those people have been on that journey with me now. You know, they've been following along and, you know, um, the, the Facebook page is very active and same with the group. We've had to start a new group because my Facebook page has been blocked for some reason. So I can't post on there um, anymore. But uh, we've moved to a group situation and um, the group is going crazy and my husband's just set up a website so that we can post everything there that is legit and people can actually go and go on there and see it if they're interested in following along. So um, it's just part of the ride, which is crazy. It makes so much sense that you are going to have a sense of release and relief because you've been carrying it and, yes, you've got your supporters and you've got people that are, like, helping you literally on the ground and going through things with you and finding all of these details and these leads. But I can imagine that relief in just being able to pass this information to the coroner and say, now it's up to you, like, you take the wheel. It's um, it's just, yeah, I can only imagine everything that's going through your mind. You mentioned uh, the website. Obviously, we will link to the podcast as well, and I cannot encourage our listeners enough to jump on over and listen. I'm sure most of them have heard your podcast, but if they haven't, go back to the first episode, listen to The Lady Vanishes. Where else would you like our listeners to head? Um, well, The Lady Vanishes is probably a good starting point if they haven't heard of the story before because we go through um, a lot. I would say to people, a lot of people, there are a lot of episodes. I can't even tell you how many there are now. I think maybe 53 episodes and there's conversations in there as well. But 
don't skip over the conversations because the conversations are where we get raw and we answer questions from the followers and we sort of talk about what we found that wasn't presented in the podcast. So the conversations bit, I feel, um, I listen to them and I sound very angsty in my voice because I'm going through the, the stages and the phases of what I've been told and, you know, um, the, the setbacks and the pushbacks. I'm constantly getting told and, you know, um, listening to people say that I'm seeking a scapegoat for this situation and, you know, oh, I believe Sally's mother was found as recently as last month, you know, not okay, not not good conversations to be having to a person who is uh, living with a missing person, and um, so I do I do listen to myself and I cringe a little bit, but it it just gives you the raw uh, impact of what I was going through at that time. I feel like I've changed a lot in those last five years as well. I've become more mellow, and I I can pick and choose my battles, I think, is the thing. Like I sit there and go, you know what? I'm not going to give you that energy. That's not the energy I need to be worrying about today. I'm going to worry about this today. And what's going to be good for my head today? What am I going to do today that will keep me strong and healthy as opposed to sinking me down into the pits of, you know, despair and what have you. And let me tell you, I have had those moments as well, but I pull myself back out. I seemingly have the moment, I pull myself back up and I go, right, I've learned from that. That wasn't good for me. So we're not going to go down that path again. We're going to stick to this path instead. Um, so they can they can follow us at the Lady Vanishes, of course. That's the main drive. We've got the website um, that my husband has seemingly set up for me just recently, um, just so he can put the, the every everything on there so you'll be on there your link for your podcast will be on there as well and um any news that comes up will always go there um for people to follow along and um i can give you those to put in your show notes if you like later um we have a group called missing person marion barter on facebook um there is also a page um which has all the details dating back from when i started it in february of uh, 2013 um, but we're just struggling a little bit at the moment with the content in there but there is a lot of information in there that people can still go back and have a look through if they're interested in finding out more or um, digging deeper into what we've been doing. I'll make sure we have all of that information in our show notes. Sally thank you for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation with me and I will be thinking of you and keeping everything crossed that you get some news this side of Christmas. Yeah, thank you very much and thank you for having me and thanks for listening and following along too because it means a lot to me that, um, you know, people care and uh, I'm really grateful for that. So thank you. Before you run off, I just wanted to mention that over on Sunroom, you're going to find exclusive content that will be seen nowhere but Sunroom. And the reason for this is Sunroom is a safe platform. Things can't be screenshotted, they can't be shared or taken out of context, really. Sunroom is the inner circle and I am over there sharing workouts, reflections, honest, truly raw thoughts and feelings, instant reactions to certain things that are going on in my life and so much more. Over there, you can also organize your own custom experience. If you've ever wanted to book a mentoring session with yours truly to perhaps take your idea for your own podcast and start creating. Maybe you have a podcast already, but you really want to learn some of the tricks of the trade when it comes to monetizing, streamlining, pitching to guests, or just creating a stronger podcast in general. 
I'm the first person to say I am not a business strategist, but I certainly am someone who loves the podcasting space. And with over 400 episodes under my belt, I will happily help you to learn from the mistakes I've made in the past and to cut out some of those tricky lessons and to just benefit from that experience. I love talking about podcasting and personal branding. So if you want to book a session with me, you can do that through Sunroom as well. You can also receive personalized voice notes and advice and so much more over there. Link is in the show notes. So come on over, join the inner circle and the circle is small. So the messages are getting answered quickly and I am available to you over through the Sunroom app. Link is in the bio. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.